1: Next game is going to be a creative confluence of collaborators, and here is why. In this episode, we find some answers to, can you build a unique world by brainstorming for an hour? Did the random collection of world building ideas from the Hook and Chance Discord create a delight or a disaster? (laughs) And how will Matt Cernet inspire us this time? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Travis. And I'm his brother, Jordan. All right, we're going to cut to the chase. We know you're here for the world building
0: with the pro. And if you haven't heard the first two of this series, here's what's happening. We've got Matt Cernit, who's joined us for this series of three world building episodes. His mind is full of fictional worlds as he's often a designer for a flurry of different IPs,
1: including influencing many of Dungeons and Dragons own products. In the previous two episodes, Matt shared how he thinks about world building, his different approaches, how to make something that's creatively original and yours, and the different reasons you might want to build a world, whether it's for creating an intellectual property that you intend to bring to the world, or when creating something unique just for your players at the table. And in this
0: episode, we're putting it all together by taking input from our Discord community Combining and twisting and mashing their ideas in unique ways to create the beginnings of a world,
1: all under the guidance of Matt. Now, spoiler alert, what we get to by the end is a really cool exercise. What you're about to hear is a really cool exercise from start to finish that can really help you make your games something that your players feel invested in, in the world itself. Now, I've run into this problem a lot myself where, you know, you bring something that you feel is a really neat idea or something cool to the table and some parts of it are secret or the world is just so grand and you never get to those neat ideas and the players go, okay, that's kind of neat, but they don't kind of match your excitement. All of this comes from creating a universe in a box in your brain. (laughs) And when the players are coming to the
0: table, so often they're bringing their own mini universes that they're going to put on top of yours and they don't know yours and the two are not going to really have anything to do with each other.
1: (laughs) So this episode, you are going to get a look at how Matt Cernet creates his worlds and some of the different headings that he wants to use to start to brainstorm ideas. In addition to that, you'll also potentially get a lot of ideas that you can bring to your games because, man, there's some wild shit that ends up coming out in this episode. Sure, sure. And finally, you'll also get to see, put into practice, what you can do with your players as kind of a pre-session zero, as a potential for building worlds collaboratively. So let's jump over to Taimura's
0: Tavern and get into that chat. (coughs)
2: Welcome to Timora's Tavern, where absurd games of fortune and skill are played for the amusement of all. So, we're going to talk about building worlds and stuff, right? Yeah. yeah.
1: We got a slew of ideas from our wonderful Discord folks.
2: Yeah, I'm going to say again, that I don't think this is what you do for... This, so what we're doing to do today, I think, is not what you're going to do to make the next great IP. I don't think that's exactly where it comes from. And I don't think this is how you create the best world for your game. It's kind of somewhere in between those things and neither of those things, but it should be fun anyway. Yeah. And it's certainly something you can try and do with your friends, and maybe you will make a great IP for your game that you play or the great IP that you want to make into some board game or RPG or something, supplement or something like that you want to build together. You never know, but I think it should be fun.
0: Fuels your creativity in some unexpected way that you're not even thinking of yet.
1: Right. I mean, honestly, I could do this exercise just to get my thinker going pre-game like just to start to warm up and and get into that creative space. Because after doing this for a solid half an hour to an hour, like I'm tired, (laughs) Your, your brain gets so going. You're just like, Oh, all right, let's take
2: a break. So we're going to take stuff from, from people and their ideas. And we are going to alter them because whatever this thing is that we're making together also has to be something that, comes from us and so we're going to take ideas and we're going to change them and we're going to we're going to find out things about each other through those changes <laughs> 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 and we'll just see what happens
1: well do we start start right at the top at cosmology
2: sure i mean why not i mean we'll just <laughs> no start on the list and just see what happens what do we have for cosmology
0: well here's an idea from almost 3 a.m Each deity is tied to a constellation in their image in the night sky where they're said to reside.
2: Okay. That is a very classic. I mean, by classic, I mean like Greeks and Romans and and all kinds of other cultures in the world idea that has been in sort of existence with humanity for thousands of years, if not tens of thousands of years. (laughs) Um, I think that, The interesting thing about that idea from the standpoint of storytelling for creating a world, for me anyway, is if that is a reality. Like, Mm. God X lives next to, on a planet or something, next to Rigel 5. I I don't know. You know, I'm making things up.
1: That's almost as if, rather than the idea of planes, you actually have, like, planets of fire. Where those, you know, lords and and rulers of those planets are almost deities in and of themselves.
2: Yeah, I mean, certainly that's true as well. The I mean, obviously we have Mars and Venus and all that kind of stuff that are named for the various deities, and so those are planets. Like you could do that as well, where you know the the planets in the solar system are the deities themselves somehow. But in order to understand what that would mean for the people of the world that are the story or whatever that we're creating. I think we need more bits. So do we have other suggestions or is that is that where we're just going to run with that?
1: Yeah, no, we can uh, kind of run through all of the suggestions and then I think each one of us can maybe pick and choose some of the ones that speak to us and maybe why and then start mashing them together cool so the next one on
0: the cosmology list was from dm Natsky: variable and vast
1: lots of changes as mortals rise to godhood and then the final one was from scotty uh, which is gods created the world as a supercomputer to answer specific pointless question <laughs> that one feels very uh hitchhiker's <laughs> guide to me oh yeah.
2: yeah which is fantastic it reminds me of in willy wonka the guy who builds the supercomputer and then it can answer any question. And then it tells him that he wants to ask it where the golden ticket is. And it says, I won't tell you that would be cheating. You know? Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> that's right. <okay. laughs> I don't know. As far as those ones, I do kind of dig the first one for me is just kind of interesting because it almost leads. That's where my mind went is separate planets with entirely different you know, creatures and forms of life on that planet. Because I always I was struggled a little bit with the planes, the different like planes of water, planes of fire. But I can understand coming from a different atmosphere, like biological creatures coming into existence, it's a little bit of both. And I always kind of like that approach to my fantasy where, I mean, even the each deity is tied to the, that's something that we understand because that is, human history too so it's like a little bit that you can relate to it and then a little bit buck wild where it's like oh this is this is weird this is new
2: yeah i like it and i like the idea of planets immediately makes me start to think about the relationship of the deity to that planet like are they on the planet do they control the planet they they just live live there are they the planet you know there's all kinds of different things that you can you know, and then how meaningful is that? Like, are they metaphysical beings or are they aliens? And what does that mean? And I don't know that we know the answers to any of all that until we explore the really more of the different ideas. I, I like running with the first idea for now.
0: Just as an idea to kind of combine two of them, my mind went to a place where you've got those gods and planets but our understanding of how many planets there are in the universe it is variable and vast <laughs> <laughs> and so you could have like too many for the people on the home world to know about and then if you wanted to you could even blend in that mortals rising to godhood as like a characters or heroes made it to one of those other planets by some accident but it's actually how you do it
2: mm. yeah there's there's really interesting in um i don't know if it's japanese or chinese myth uh i'm going to go with japanese but i might be entirely wrong <laughs> anyways um there's a a person who goes to the moon and lives on the moon and i want to say it's associated with a rabbit for some reason um but that that kind of idea of someone going and living on the moon is present in other mythologies or religions around the world and so like i like that idea too that like maybe if you're a mortal being you can sort of ascend to godhood by going to one of these other planets there's also that sort of idea of maybe there's the orbiting of the planets brings planets closer or farther out and that has meaning somehow So, you know, like the, some weird, interesting, good, bad, dreadful deity is returning because you know that every thousand years their planet comes close enough and you can start seeing their star in the sky. And that's, that's when you know the time of upheaval is, or, you know, whatever that might be. Yeah.
0: Yeah. If you had like a, a history of the home planet that repeated itself based on how close those other planets were getting. And it's like. Are you going to try to change the pattern of history or are you just going
1: to accept it or? Well, I know that this is going to change because oh, yeah. as soon as we add different, <laughs> the, the next topic, which is genre and subgenre, so we can rip through that list. And we have one from Hey Dare Lila, which is mystery slash supernatural. Always fun. Uh, DM Notsky said, rise to greatness, break the wheel. It's kind of cool. Um, Scotty
0: throwing another uh, very unique curveball in there. Urban fantasy, but a TV legal drama.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And then Jordan had a couple of ideas that he threw on there as well.
0: I just didn't want to have this list be without things like horror and dimensional
1: exploration. So tying the dimensional exploration back to the variable and the cosmology things, this one was starting to kick up, is kind of combining the Superman, how he gets his powers from Earth's yellow sun, uh, mixed with a little bit of Stargate in there. Mm. I would be kind of curious what would happen in a world where this new technology to jump from plane or planet Mm -hmm. to planet were to exist if we knew that if you got the right one, if you got a good one, that you could perhaps be imbued with different powers from that very different space, that would provide a lot of desire or rationale to try to risk your life to explore some of these places, but also potentially being burned to a crisp <laughs> when you choose the wrong place um, right. or letting through certain elements. So now all of a sudden you're you're potentially putting a lot of people at risk when you open up some of these these spaces or these portals.
2: I really dig the idea of portals or stargates or something as sort of mammoth apertures or platforms or something in the world that become objects of worship or like important cities are built around them or things like that. And then the nearness of the planets, the changing of those things, you know, causes those things to open. And then that creates upheaval in the society or, you know, Perhaps that portal that was to the version of Pluto or whatever we might have out there was terrible the last time it was open. And so people destroyed it. And there's just sort of like a big mammoth, like broken ring standing up somewhere, you know, in the mountains, someplace. And people have largely abandoned it. But then, you know, when Pluto gets closer, that ring starts rebuilding itself, you know something really super cool about the idea of of societies based around these apertures or stargates and that that's how you get to and from planets i think that's super cool
0: yeah and like a cultural fascination you could even have societies or or large groups of people when they know that this is putting itself together and opening everyone starts moving there Like, and maybe it takes like a hundred years. So societies build themselves up based on the
1: next event. Or moving themselves away from there. Yeah. And I was just thinking of almost like you said, a society depending on where that portal was opening up to based on this time, you know, as that nearness happens, you know, some might happen quicker than others. Other ones would happen every thousand years. Some would happen every 50 years. And you'd have whole societies that were getting ready to protect us from one opening and then benefiting from another opening and trying to, like, manage that and keep track of it.
2: Right. Or or, or benefiting from one being closed. So, like, what if one opens to a water world and every time that it opens, it creates an ocean on the planet? And, Ooh. like, when that ocean is gone for a thousand years or whatever, uh, maybe it's less than that, there's mining you can do. There's... I mean there's so many benefits that you can get from that that landscape that's been opened up. But then when that thing is going to open again, everybody who lives there has got the GTFO. Because, <laughs> 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 <you> know, <laughs> it's like it's just going to be flooded with, you know, this massive ocean that is created when some new, you know, deity returns or something like that, which would create a fascinating culture in itself, right? Depending on how long the time spans are that these cultures exist in and what level of technology they have the knowledge and understanding of what these things are and what happens can pass human history is filled with essentially dark ages where uh knowledge was lost a lot of times it's because we literally didn't have a way of retaining that knowledge like we had, we didn't have writing <laughs> no one no one figured out to do the written word um, and so the means of getting bog iron out of swamps that the Vikings had, we we lost because, you know, they didn't write it down and, you know, nobody knew how to do it or whatever. That's not a good example. But the point is, you know, there could be things where, you know, it's been a thousand years or whatever. Who or what the ocean deity is and what they represent and, and, and what it means to have in return could get warped over time. And so, you know, there's lots of interesting things to do there with that understanding of like, we we don't really know what it is that's coming back or coming through.
0: Yeah, I love the idea that you would have so many interpretations of an event like that. If it does only happen, say, every thousand years, then then things are going to get warped and there's going to be 20 different ideas of what's going to come through that portal as a representation of the ocean god. And it kind of gives me a vibe of like the flexibility that you had in Fallout with what was in each vault. Each portal can just be its own complete thing. And that kind of ties into that mystery supernatural. Like you don't know what you're getting into when you get close to another portal that's going to open and you have to get to know the culture that's formed around
1: it. You have to get to know the folklore that's been passed down about it. And one of those portals opens and now all of a sudden you've got these ghosts that you know it was only open for 20 minutes but now you need hunters to go and kill the ghost things that are now plaguing the world and this is just something that happens every 150 years that's how she goes we hunt the ghosts down for the next 150 years till it opens again
2: yeah yeah i I like the idea that whatever this world as it's developed is taking maybe there are different timelines for the various worlds and portals and things opening up but, Allah, the dark crystal, you know there's the coming grand conjunction mm. when they're all going to open up at once, and so then you get to experience the changes and the differences and the the different you know environments and all that kind of stuff that that happen you know all at the same time, rather than being like, "Well, in order to continue this story, let's advance the timeline a thousand years <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and <see what> happens. <laughs> yeah,
1: totally <laughs> so.
2: Uh, yeah, that's that's super cool. All right, let's move on.
1: Culture. So we have stacked traditions and values based on personal pantheon from DM Natsuki. Uh, the next one is sacred architecture tries to mimic or accentuate their deity's constellation and tries to block as little of it from view
2: throughout the year as possible. Huh, that's intriguing. I'm not sure how that would work.
1: And I think that's kind of tied to the cosmology idea of that each deity is tied to a constellation in their image. So that was a part of like a through line there.
0: We've got yeah. uh, Scotty coming in with height privilege. <laughs> Scotty's got some really great <laughs> wild suggestions. Always make me chuckle at least. Um, and then a couple that I was just couldn't help but brainstorming. Just because we play games in such a creative space, the cultural... Uh, value of creativity as the highest respected thing. Another idea was, <laughs> I was getting weird with this one. I was thinking theme park world, just because I was, <laughs> I was trying to tie back to my life experiences. And I thought, what if everything was just a theme park?
1: You're waiting for those portals to open because it's actually a ton of fun when things get <laughs> weird. <laughs> yeah. So that's huh. some of our culture ideas. Um, <laughs> where to go with some of that
2: i think so far like building architecture to block out constellations is interesting because it's an interesting idea i'm just not quite sure how that physically works because you put a roof over your head you you, it all <laughs> like, you know do you want to let in only just a particular constellation but then if the world does what the Earth does, which is sort of the axis moves based upon the season, sort of the stars move in the sky. And so then there'd be weird giant slats through. But then if it's planets, planets have a circuitous route in the sky where they kind of like do a little loopy loop sometimes. I love the idea. I'm just not sure how practical it is.
1: I kind of pictured, you know, Mr. Burns sunblock, you know, sky shield kind of Mm -hmm. thing. That's that's kind of what jumped to mind there. I just imagined
0: more of an Indiana Jones kind of thing where in a certain culture or a certain uh, community, there's a time of day where all of the architecture allows
1: that constellation
0: to be seen or something like that. Uh, You got to put the crystal in the right
1: spot in order for the beam to shine through. But it's, yeah, kind of different than that. Even if it's perhaps those portals, like you were saying, Matt, you've got these pieces that kind of come together or rebuild themselves at a certain time and you could have elements of that like where the pieces that make that space up kind of come from other places and they form and then when the time is done then they return but Mm -hmm. if they are truly mammoth like you were saying they might destroy towns and cities and you know little villages that have been built up on top of them or that would be kind of a known thing that all of this upheaval happens when these things come back together
2: i kind of like the idea that these gateways kind of open only if somebody provides them with the key on this side like Mm. there are these dds out there they reform these gateways and so on but it's not going to open unless somebody does something to open it and that in a lot of cultures. That would be sort of a responsibility handed down by some priesthood or, you know, royalty, or there would be factions that might want to prevent that from being done, but also like people who are really dedicated, like, nope, this has got to get done. (laughs) Yeah. This is is our whole religion demands that, that this happens. And so that's kind of an interesting idea. I'm not sure where to go with it, but I I like that concept that they have to be uh, kind of opened from the the human side for the, the deities to come through.
0: Well, I know this is kind of, yeah, getting into that religious territory rather than culture, but they're definitely connected. I was just reading about actual druids the other day, and that very much reminds me of kind of a druidic thing where you've got the one core religion that people from every culture around the world kind of have to travel to a central hub to get and then retain that information about these different portals and how they work and what you're going to need to do in your culture or civilization. And maybe it's as one of these religious practitioners, it's kind of your job to do it, whether that's good or bad for the people there. So there's definitely some good or evil happening
1: in that morality that can be explored. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I like the idea that that you're going to see in this world because of these portals and uh the different deities and such like that different types of cultures and so on and maybe these keys or or things you have to do to open the portal all have a huge impact on what the culture is we haven't talked about different types of creatures or peoples as far as cultures go, um, but that could be part of it as well, right? So like if it's a fantasy environment or sci-fi environment where there are different sentient, um, you know, humanoid-ish or not forms of life on these worlds that sort of control access to these portals, they might have different cultures based upon their own sort of innate capabilities and stuff like that. So, in my head anyway, it's it's starting to feel a bit I, I want to say fantasy post-apocalyptic like like it feels Mad Max, yeah. Like the like a fantasy Mad Max. There's there's something there. Yeah.
0: Hmm. I'm just curious in what way are are we seeing the the post-apocalyptic side of
2: it? I think in my head anyway, one of the reasons why you want these gods to return is because of the promise of what what happens when the gods are back, right? When the gods are back, everything's awesome. They make the world a land of milk and honey. They allow humanity to, or whatever race, to, to accomplish these fantastic things and build these great cities or whatever it might be. And then in the between times, that's when we're left to our own devices and, you know, absent the leadership of the gods, we become fractious and warring and you know we we tear down the great things that have been done in the past and we lose our memory of what you know those times were but you know the mythology our religion says they were fantastic so you know it's sort of like that idea of like the is the tower of babel kind of like that i mean basically like you know everybody he spoke one language and it was awesome. And then God got mad and smashed it and they um, all speak different languages. Um, I don't remember the exact story, but uh, it's sort of like that a little bit where we're like, when the gods are around, it's supposed to be this fantastic period of awesomeness. And yet, you know, when we, they're, they're gone, they like, kind of fall apart and start fighting one another. And so that's why it feels sort of a little post-apocalyptic to me. Like, like when you go from one society to the next, whether it's from portal or to another portal place or just someplace else in the world, I feel like you're probably not encountering very friendly people most of the time.
0: I don't know. It's just yeah, here. no, I, I, I like it because besides the fact that the leadership of the gods is back, you've also got the theoretical resources that are back. So if there's been a huge period just with little
1: to no resources, you've got all of that fighting that you're talking about. Even if that's true or not, if you've got plentiful times, then automatically, anytime that it's not plentiful time, then it's lean time. And it's like, well, we don't know when this is going to open again, but we need to make it to the next time. Let's start warring with one another.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And there there might be like, you know, misunderstandings about what made life awesome right so there's you know the the whole what's his name in the snap in marvel universe where he's just like you know what i'm gonna improve your planet by taking out half of the life on it It doesn't actually work that way but okay um (laughs) the idea that like the world works better when we have less people taking resources out of it isn't just something that happens with global warming that was True in the past, like what would happen oftentimes in the past in the history of our world is there would be societies that would build up and create cities. Like a lot of the first cities of the world all over the planet would build up. And then what they would do is deplete the resources all around themselves. And they destroy the trees. They, you know, use up all the soil. And this would happen over a period of generations so that people didn't really notice that, that it was changing that much. What had been something that was a workable number of people in the amount of space that they were taking, you know, the, hey, there's, there's 40,000 people in this, this city that's been built up. When it becomes 100,000 people and it's several generations later, their functional political state is actually weaker because they don't have the resources to you know sustain that place anymore. And they have to draw those resources from different places. Well, if those other places start to be warring with them, then suddenly they're under-resourced and they don't have the access to the resources that they need. And so suddenly it's this fractious environment where those great cities fall and we have just archaeological evidence of them. So, and I'm not, like that kind of thing, that kind of cycle happened to a degree all over the world but i'm not talking about like rome i'm talking about places in the americas and where there were a number of civilizations that rose and fell long before cortez came over and started messing things up so like the idea that these places might not realize that one of the reasons why that was the land of mocahain when the gods were around is not just because the gods are back and giving out whatever bonuses gods give <laughs> but also because like when they come back it's traumatic and <laughs> You know, a lot of bad things happen and then there's less people around to take the resources that are necessary and things are better for a while.
1: Well, and that ties in nicely with the list that we have for politics and era. So on the politics side, we have two. One is from Diemnazki again, who said rival city-states. Yeah, I think ties in really well to this concept so far. And then we have another one from Scotty who says... The nation's leader is elected randomly from the kingdom's new moms. Uh, Which sounds like a great political system. (laughs)
2: Wait, let me... The nation's leader is elected randomly
1: from From the the kingdom's new moms. the
2: kingdom's new moms. What? I mean, why not? Sure! She's on
1: very little
0: sleep. (laughs) She's tired of your shit. His point when I said that's a wildly good idea was that a new mom doesn't have time for bullshit and she's going to make decisions that are best for their child. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, and 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 like you, you can imagine a system where everyone who's had a child recently and you can tell because they're a little baby right there puts a stone or a marker or whatever with their name on it in a big thing and it's drawn out and <laughs> congratulations. You're like...
1: You're up for the year. Or well, the... <laughs> when your whole world is in chaos and you do have, you know, you could borrow that rival city States as well. You've still got this system. Like the only thing that does keep it from being totally lawless and Mad Max is this idea that new moms have a sense of morality and a, a future looking perspective. That is the only thing that keeps this world ticking.
2: Yeah. I- i like the idea of that particularly if there's some reflection of that in the deities like Mm. the one of the gateways is going to open and the deity that comes through is always a big baby no that's (laughs) 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 or or it embodies itself in in the body of a baby or something i mean that's it gets super creepy like suddenly your your baby is not your baby anymore it's it's this god child but hey you were elected you're the leader maybe that's actually i mean that's kind of creepy good like yeah, ugh. yeah. i mean it, it, like you can see why someone might want that position right because they have this position of power of taking you know care of of this baby deity but also they've just like sacrificed the soul quote unquote of whatever child they just had like that's that's dark but it's kind of good dark I don't know
0: well there could be the the randomness could be embodied by what the portal chooses like nobody knows why a baby would be selected for this
2: oh sure there's there's some sort of Dalai Lama echo there where like they have to go out and find the chosen child and then it's like congratulations your your baby is the new god like what
0: (laughs) (laughs) But I like the idea that it's not like your baby is the new something special. It's like your baby has this, therefore you are the new something special.
2: Right. Mm. And you are invested with these powers and the powers of state and all this kind of stuff. Right. Like what's interesting to me about that is it might be culturally based. Right. Like, Like there might be a cultural emphasis on because of that. On motherhood and mothers and how important that is, right? Like that might be a society that that's based entirely around how that is an incredibly important idea, and so there might be like all kinds of echoes for that concept within their society to the point where you know it's a it's a matriarchy rather than patriarchy, but there might also be like like real real reason for that too. Where like if you decide you know what mom you're out of the picture for some reason or mom dies then it's a problem. (laughs) Like, like, you know, this mom has to be the ruler and has to be protected and all this kind of stuff, because if mom dies, then it is a problem for us. Like, the deity becomes a problem or something like that. It's Mm -hmm. kind
0: of... Oh, like, things could go drastically wrong if that mother's not protected. Is that kind of what you're...
2: Yeah, yeah. And so, so like, not that they would be necessarily secretive away and, like, protected in that sense, but, like, the, the kind of protection that you would give to a king or a queen or someone like that, where they're given rights and responsibilities and you have to protect their life because the danger of it going south like, is kind of interesting. And then there's no dynastic struggles, right? There's no like, well, well I'm going to take care of the baby because of blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, no, no. Nobody else can take care of the baby. <laughs> 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 no one else can do it. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Then you have the era, which D.M. just went straight up with the classic fantasy, which is always a crowd favorite. And then Scotty threw in 1840s Frontier Canada (laughs) of, I would assume, fur trading and the Hudson's Bay Company.
2: Yeah, I love
0: it. It is pretty much what we're talking about now, but my original suggestion there was centuries or millennia past apocalypse.
2: Yeah, so my gut instinct says a lot of what we're talking about is... Clearly fantasy. It feels less high fantasy, a la the Forgotten Realms and stuff like that, Lord of the Rings, et cetera. And more Conan, Dark Ages stuff. Sure. Yeah.
1: yeah that Robert that. E. Howard vibe of, you know, monsters and sorcery and. Yeah.
2: You know, different powerful tribes and, you know, all that, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, the the interesting thing there to me is that it implies a different sort of sensibility around architecture and art and design for the visuals of of the setting, right? So in the way that like the Dark Sun setting took the fantasy of D&D and just turned it on its head and, and made it into something more sort of strange with ziggurats and stuff like that instead of standard castles and all that kind of a thing like it feels like it leans more in that direction but let's not discard 1840s canada
0: <laughs> how do you spin that one i was impressed with your ability to start shifting the kingdom's new moms so <laughs> uh
2: i mean i'm a, i'm mostly joking but like <laughs> could you do it like i don't know you kind of could right like
0: what are the core elements of that that could be shifted
2: to me uh what you can't lose there is the era and the nations that exist right like if you start warping all of that well you're creating an entirely new setting i suppose than than normal earth you know so suddenly there's there's one of those portals under london and that's why london has its colonial power is because they are the poor old place of the war god, I don't know. Then, So like, you can go that route, but it feels more like the sort of, well, even though we've been in this sort of new world of Canada and the United States and so on for probably uh, at least a couple centuries, right? Four four centuries. Uh, it's still a vast unexplored continent for the most part to, to Europeans. And so there might be these things out there. At that point, though, you tend to to tread on like, oh, well, we're just going to make Native Americans people who are blah, 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 blah. And I don't like that. So let's discard 1840s camp.
1: One of the couple of through lines that I, I thought were kind of interesting when you said, hey, what could you keep? And I think it kind of fits well with our setting as it is developing of obviously Canada was a place seen by uh, european cultures as holy crap there's a lot of resources there and let's just unabashedly try to strip it yeah and then you have really inhospitable environments where at least, at least to the unprepared uh, and the un the uh the unfamiliar and yeah and then again all of those kind of warring tribes of europeans that were coming over you had the french that were trying to stake claims and everybody thought that it was theirs and and then you have the british and you have all of these different places especially when we're talking about these portals opening up and being bountiful resources as soon as one of those happens then you have all of these factions that are coming together saying we're going to strip everything and it's it's just this mad panic to try to see yeah. if you can get as much as humanly possible from these times.
2: I wonder if there's if there's some sort of gold rush analog to, you know, we need to find the northern passage kind of a thing analog that you could create in the setting. The question to my mind is, like, why does it, if they know that there's one of those portals or something out there, how does it become this what wilderness again? Maybe it's because the portal, the last time it opened, made it that way. I don't know.
1: Well, every time you have an ocean dry up, you could
2: have
1: you know different passages and this is an unfamiliar territory because it literally reshaped the landscape and now our maps don't work and and i mean within the setting it would depend on how much you wanted to
0: touch on a little bit higher fantasy but again these portals could be introducing a new single element that's kind of wild that changes the entire landscape pretty drastically
2: Mm -hmm. yeah i was just thinking that uh if If there were one of these portals or whatever that was sort of the wandering portal or the one that you don't that opens unpredictably right that it could be one of those things where it's like yeah we know that this this portal will open at some point but it's been it was 100 years last time 40 years last time then there was 700 years and so like it's just like it's unreliable Mm -hmm. and so we only know now that like it's going to open because of the Grand Conjunction or whatever it might be. And therefore, the area around it has become a wilderness because the the world has said it's not worth worrying about, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> until we know it's going to open. And so there could be wilderness and ruins and all that kind of stuff around it that you can go to and, and explore and so on. Generally, it's not worth it until you know the portal's going to open. That kind of
0: a thing. Yeah. I like where you're going because anything could be in those
1: woods. There was a while there where it opened every day for 10 minutes. (laughs) Something different came through. And right about here is where we're going to take a quick break to go to Griffin Street Market.
0: Must have provisions and supplies can be found for the right price at the Griffin Street Market. Want to get out there and explore the world, but you can't get yourself away from those creature comforts? Look no further than this tiny metal cube. Uh, (laughs) Excuse me? This tiny metal cube. You'll be surprised. Simply set a command word, say it out loud, and this bad boy will pop into Darren's Instant Fortress. 20 feet wide, 30 feet up, two stories
1: tall, three if you count the roof. That would really be just an ideal way to see the country. Yeah. You know, no paying for hotels. Pop a mattress down in that bad boy, you're good. Huh, hot plate? That's pretty fantastic. This is like the first thing that you have been hawking at our humble stall that doesn't seem like it would, on the face, kill people. Well, there is one way. (laughs) Okay, all right, good. Good to know that there's (laughs) some fine print at the bottom of this.
0: Be careful with that command word because, you know, if the cube is next
1: to anybody, it will slam their bodies away at a furious rate. Ah, I see. So if the command word is spoken, say indoors, you are now outdoors.
0: Well, and the building you were in is gone. Okay. So,
1: you know, be careful with that command word. Make it a tricky one. Uh, I don't even think it matters how tricky you want to make that command word because Siri and Alexa go off even when I'm not saying their name. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you'll probably kill someone, but you might get a good uh, trip
1: out of it. Or kill yourself. Let's huck something a little safer.
0: All right, fine. We've got something
1: much better. Last week, I actually used Describe to help me with the introduction of a powerful angel deity in my game. And that had some real gravity. That had the big reveal, and I needed that extra oomph that I could only get from Describe. We'd been looking for that sucker for a long time in game, and it really worked. And that's
0: exactly what Describe can do. Like, when you get to that cool part of the game you've got planned, and you want to help everyone sink into that moment, but you just can't find any good words? I mean, you've got some words (laughs) that are going to fumble out of your mouth,
1: like old spaghetti, but they're just not good ones, you know? Well, what if you had a team of professional writers backing you up? whispering those sweet poetic words into your ear, coaching you through the whole process. You know, like the spy that has the little earpiece? Totally. we might not be able to actually put those
0: people in your ear, but the next best thing is describe DSCRYB, who gives you over 1,750 scenes of places, monsters, spells. They're going to be doing items, and the collection keeps growing, and they're all box text like from your favorite adventure, but you can read them
1: aloud for any part of your game that you want. They're just long enough to help you paint that picture, but they're not huge monologues. You can even tweak them, and you can leave some stuff behind, and you can take the best stuff. Nobody will ever know where all of your brilliance comes from. And if you've heard us say this before, well, you haven't heard this part, because they just released the
0: Cartographer's Collection. It's a game changer.
1: I legitimately lost my mind a little bit when Jordan showed me their new Cartographers collection. Because they've got maps and pieces of art
0: that you can show your players and they have elements that you can select with your mouse
1: and reveal for their associated box text. This lit me up. This is so cool being able to show your players the entrance of a dark and scary dungeon. However, you can hover over the certain pieces, and when players say, oh, you describe some cool pillars, well, you hover over the pillars, and it gives you a description of what those pillars are. And then you hover over the entrance of the cave, and it gives you a description of what the cave is like. And there's a weird goop coming out of the wall. It gives you a description of that, and it
0: gives you, like... You can describe the scene as they ask for it. You don't have to do it all at once. It's so cool. Well, I think we need a quick example, Jordan. All right, we're diving back into one of our favorite genres of horror for the flesh cobbler. For the flesh cobbler. The monstrosity pursues ceaselessly, tirelessly. It towers, a vaguely humanoid silhouette of macabre flesh and askew limbs. Shards of bone and broken ligaments protrude from its bulbous mass alongside putrid, pulsating organs. A dozen creatures, humanoid and otherwise, make up its cobbled together bulk. The stench wafting from it, rot and loam, the aroma of a freshly exhumed corpse, nearly overpowers you as it draws closer. And closer still, in its incessant charge, it pauses only to scoop up the bodies of those left dead and mangled in its wake, incorporating their mass into its own, growing larger with each grisly addition. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so gross, <laughs> so nasty. Post
1: warning for how nasty that was. <laughs> So you can subscribe to Describe service by going to Describe.com forward slash hook. That's D-S-C-R-Y-B.com forward slash hook. And if you use the coupon code hook at checkout, you can gain a sweet, sweet 10% off. Woo! Let's get back to our conversation with Matt. Well, the next category that we have is magic and technology. So starting up at the top, we have a magical railway system that has finally hit the scene and it's the hot new way to travel across the country, locomotives from Hey Dare Lila. I dig it. Limited resources used by the elite from DM Natsuki. Yeah. The direction that we're going, I, I see some parallels there. We've got, thanks to recent technological and magical advances, travel beyond the planet's boundaries is now possible, but an influential faction of the clergy holds it to be hearsay to journey into the realm reserved for the gods. And that was from almost 3 a.m. We've got
0: magic stemmed off environmental disaster because prestidigitation dramatically reduced the need for fresh water. From Scotty.
1: (laughs) From Jordan and I, we have magical industrialization and densely and well-connected cities.
2: I think a lot of that stuff works with everything we've been talking about so far. I mean, you can imagine that some of these portal places or the countries or whatever you want to call them around these portal places have developed into large cities, perhaps with sort of industrial things involved. I mean, you know, we've invented these portals. There might be special materials or energies or something like that, that are part of the setting as well that you know maybe every time the gods have come to the earth it's left behind some special residue or something god poop not god poop
0: (laughs) that one came out
2: (laughs) (laughs) but like some echo of their power has been left behind from the last time they were there and so that's sort of like been a diminishing resource as you've gone farther and farther um, from the last time they were around And maybe when they are around, it's super plentiful. So perhaps when the gods are around, something like magic is super plentiful and it does everything you need it to do. And that's one of the reasons why it's great to have the gods around is that they can, you know, easily give you food and water and shelter and, you know, all the things that make life worth a living. And when they're not around, it becomes more scarce and it becomes a resource that people hoard and uh, or have to go seek out or things like that. And so these cities or places could exist and then there might be that sort of diminishing resource um, that people have to go and find in places. The
1: God's presence almost replenishes the weave.
2: Yeah, so there might be the sense that like when the gods come back it's going to to make the world, you know, awesome and we could use magic again and all this kind of stuff. But until they do, it's this hard-grass struggle to survive in an environment that is maybe not terribly hospitable to whatever humanity or races are out there.
0: And just presenting what came to mind from your your ideas there uh, with the god dust or whatever you want to call it. If that were something just use an example of like a certain type of rock or metal then maybe the way that that magical power in this world would work then is when you've got your hands on something with some of this residue left in it like this metal then you are more powerful you've got some influence over the magic in this world and it might this is just getting weird but it might be kind of neat if a that residue would become weaker in that specific piece of metal. So if you wanted to keep your power, you got to keep go finding more. And B, if, if it wasn't like a, I hold it, therefore I have the magic, it was more of a area of mm-hmm. influence. So if the people that you're nearby are also able to tap into this source.
1: You can almost tie all of these ideas together. You've got your gold rush element there. You've got, uh, you could add the railway as a quick way of getting across some of these dangerous places. But that's being fueled by the same material. Yeah. You know, and it's it's very quickly consumed based on how technologically advanced a particular culture is Mm. in this world.
0: So they would need more or less of it depending on their technological state.
1: Yeah. So then you've got that limited resources used by the elite from DM Natsuki. You've got you know the technological and magical advances travel beyond the planet's boundaries, like all of that can be influenced by the magic that's imbued. Every time one of these gods comes to this
2: planet and then leaves I think it was deadlands that had ghost rock or something like that, mm. and it was sort of the the fuel that the Deadlands game used to make supernatural weapons and trains and you know all kinds of crazy things. So it reminds me of that i I think what would be interesting is interesting slash really heinously complex. um is if that resource whatever it is differs based upon deity and therefore you really are telling a very different story with a very different set of environments and tone depending upon where your story is and what that resource is so perhaps in some place It's magical crystals um, that you can mine from the earth because the deity that comes through um, imbues the world with these magical crystals that do something. I don't know what they do. Maybe it's just like the equivalent of gasoline. I don't know. And someplace else, it's that ghost god that sends spirits for people in the sawn. And so you have to like capture some filtered essence of souls into bottles and do something with it and you know it like i said it's it gets more complex the more you think about it but i think it could be really colorful and really unique if the different deities have their own different resources then when you're creating all of those different deities and different resources and you put them all on the planet at the same time that does create a unique utopia somehow. Hmm. Those forces balance somehow. That's pretty interesting. I, I, I don't have it in my head yet what yeah. that would mean, but it's a cool idea. I mean the, the basic idea is like earth, fire, water. And it could be more unique to the deity. So perhaps the the deity of forging is also the deity of war. And so it's a special metal. You know, and so thematically, all those things tie together. You know, they're they're a, a war god, they're a god of the forge, it's a special metal, and maybe they have creatures or followers or angels or something that come through the portal first that are big, giant, robot things, I don't know, metal angels, uh, something.
0: Yeah. Badass, yep.
2: And that sort of drifts that society towards one particular way of living you know mining this metal becomes extremely important obviously and then there there's sort of a warlike society so maybe it's a very uh militaristic and like there's there's lots of interesting things you can do there to to sort of start building out the society whereas like the deity who is embodied in a child and the mother becomes the leader like what's the resource there and how do you make that work and build throughout the rest of society uh without getting too creepy because i thought of a couple of creepy ideas let's <laughs> undo those
1: well the last category is theme again i see some more parallels here so the first one was from hey dear lila and that one was coming of age yeah so i definitely see some parallels in that creepy god baby coming of age mm-hmm. mixed in with maybe that's a, a theme of some of your players or some of the the main characters in this world
0: then we've got the gods are cold random and indifferent thus acts of mortal kindness and friendship matter most from scotty
2: yep those both seem to fit pretty well yeah i do feel like the deities in this setting that we are imagining probably vary in their intent and care for whatever races are around the planet at the time that probably one of the deities that shows up is, you know, maybe that war deity or whatever basically plays with his toys, right? Like he comes there every time he shows up, there's a, there's a nation of warriors there who are like super excited to go to war. And he's like, yes, let's do it. <laughs> he starts making war, right? Cause that's what he does. And that's why he's the war god or she. And, you know, in some other society, like where there's the weird, you know, ghost essences and the, the portal opens up and unleashes these spirits and so on, and focus more around death and necromancy and that kind of thing. And um, and so they have a different perspective. Uh, yeah. And so there might be different takes depending upon the various deities and portals and so on that you include.
0: I know this doesn't really work for, you know, telling a specific story with a specific group in, but... I'm also thinking there could be an ebb and flow because you've got this great convergence coming, which means they're all going to show up at the same time. But that suggests that they've shown up at different times throughout history. So these different, if there's five or 10 major civilizations in this world that all have those unique characteristics from their God, then you're going to have an ebb and a flow of how powerful those have been in the world and how much when that one God shows up, its influence is felt across the land kind of thing right then it becomes almost nothing when the next one shows up and kind of overpowers in its own way and the one might be through war but obviously you're going to have different ways that those gods and and civilizations are going to influence the world at large
1: yeah one of the things that i really love about this setting that is is just that it has a lot of flexibility and this is something that jordan and i have been kind of struggling with in our own d and d games and really slowly I would say over the course of years coming around to is always making a world in which the world itself isn't a reflection of the immediate story that you're telling but a place where many stories could take place and you can you know depending on the time or the geographic location within what we've kind of constructed here it sounds like there are hundreds of stories that could be told and the world will still flex depending on what you need in this particular moment there's there's lots of different times and places and cultures and technology and and things like that and lots of different stories to tell within this space
0: i mean with that coming of age theme specifically you could definitely do some coming of age with the uh the god baby <laughs> If that's <what> a, <laughs> that's a character you're you're focusing on then okay what does it mean to be the God
2: Baby. Yeah. My mind kind of went to the cliche of Queen Mom says, like, I want my God Baby to live a normal life. And so elevates some non-child of hers or a sibling. I don't know. I, I'm not quite sure what. Almost changeling style has a, <laughs> a different child in the place of God Baby and lets God Baby go off and go on adventures. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but that
2: seems really weird i'm not sure about that um
1: by the time these characters reach level 20 they are god they're grown god babies and that's (laughs) your entire adventuring party is them journeying to level 20 and being able to cast wish spells well look at that we're all god babies
2: (laughs) yeah if you're gonna do a coming of age story i think that there has to be um an element of what what does that mean in the world that you're you're telling this story, right? And coming and of age stories are about what? They're about learning about friendships. They're about learning about relationships between you and you know, eleveners perhaps. They're about defining yourself as a as an adult apart from your childhood friendships and behaviors. And so, I mean, the life of children in this weird world that we're creating seems like it could be really insane, <laughs> and coming of age might be necessary real fast it's interesting i yeah I'm just trying to think like depending on where you set the story, right there's so many different versions of what that coming of age theme could bring out, like if you're off in the the Canada of our world trying to sort of your your pioneer family trying to find more ghost rock or whatever it is your uh town is attacked while the kids are out playing and so now the kids have to survive in this frontier environment uh they don't know whether or not their parents are alive or dead and so i mean that's that's a coming of age story right there i mean it's a survival story and you know there's there's neat stuff to do with them finding or not finding their parents and you know How their friendships evolve or their rivalries, if they didn't like one another, evolve as they've come sort of need to come together and survive in this environment
0: using their unique skills. And then, what do they
2: do once they find some ghost rock or something like that? Like, all that's super interesting, but that's a totally different story than what might happen in the coming of age story for a bunch of kids in Wartown of War God. Mm -hmm. So, yeah
1: could see a lot of possibilities with that and even tying into scotty's suggestion of you know mortal kindness and friendship you know what happens when it's understood that these children with god-like powers grow up you know fulfill whatever purpose they have which probably is not a great one what if like you said there's kind of that changeling thing where you swap one out for another and give that child to a group of adventurers to raise and teach mortal kindness and friendship and try to, you know, fix the cycle, the negative cycle that we're in by, by raising one correctly, or, you know, there's, there's so many different options there.
2: If there are sort of myths in this world of, and perhaps even things that the world's forgotten, that it's possible to go through these gateways the other way and you know, become the deity that comes through, it offers the promise of that story of like, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll fix this by taking over, right? By becoming the powers that make the changes and we'll, we'll do it better. And that's an interesting story, but also fraught, right? Like,
1: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> will you? Really? or <laughs> Are you just going to become the next bastard? And like, what does that mean? And, and what does it look like? That's all super interesting. I mean, there's lots of potential for uh really interesting stories
0: yeah uh maybe there's a myth that all the gods were taken down by these people so now it's solving the problem by having to do that by being forced to go into these realms that were once the gods and figure out how to Mm. bring back their powers
2: i mean certainly in the like the greek myths it's just like one group of jerks taking over the next (laughs) <laughs> it's like, like Titans kill somebody else, and then somebody else kills somebody else, and then Zeus comes in and kills them all, and then yay, then they have another fight, and like, it's like, oh, okay, fine. And then finally Zeus is in charge. The idea that, like, maybe in the mythology of this world there is this sense of, oh, and this conjunction is the time when we can go and and go back through and take on the gods in their own terrain. Yeah. Um, And that might not be something that people necessarily all understand, even though that's sort of in their mythology. It might not be, you know, because mythology does weird things. It changes the story all the time, especially over generations. And so there are sort of key bits that stay relatively stable, but a lot of the rest of it flexes and changes. And so the idea of sort of a war with the gods and a victory over them or something like that might be inherent into the mythology of the world. But the idea that humans might do that again might not be readily apparent at first. So that's kind of cool.
0: Yeah. Well, I think an interesting side effect of the specific way in which we did this exercise was that we started with cosmology and everything kind of revolved around our cosmology. But I think we've created something that we could keep exploring avenues of, but it kind of is its own thing. I think we did it. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah yeah you're absolutely right if you started from the angle of you know 1840s canada and was like no we're gonna set it there um a lot of other things would change <laughs> you yeah. know? um i think for the purposes of like how do you use this now next if you're using this for your table you know on wednesday nights or whatever um you have to kind of fill out some of the details of these deities and understand them better and um, probably get some input from your players and see if they want to play in this crazy world that you're creating, then you kind of just pick a place and start people out and just see where the story takes you because you have, you have all these cool elements to play with. There's so much space that you you want to run with, right? From the point of view of like, oh, let's make this into the next Harry Potter, there's still a lot of work to do. You need to have those, <laughs> that, that, that central story and those characters that people care about My gut instinct is that the baby Chosen One story uh, isn't it, like that that's maybe a little overplayed and overdone and there's something else out there. And also that the world might be too big, that there's too much story potential in this massive planet to explore. But that might be the correct avenue, right? Like you can tell the story of uh, one deity in one city and... A bunch of characters there and then you can tell the story of a bunch of characters other deity and some other cities someplace else and then you can have crossover so as long as you get those characters that people care about and put them in some sort of story that is compelling it could be super freaking cool i I'd, I'd certainly check it out
0: i see what you mean how if i were to use this world it would definitely be in a very specific place very specific people and It would just be this this backdrop of opportunity for the future it kind of like some of those big worlds do i mean harry potter kind of sets everything up there's other things happening but it's all going to follow the same rules whereas in a place like star wars the the story is happening on a planet to specific people but the backdrop is unlimited
1: potential so it's kind of that same vibe and i think that's definitely Like your next step, if you are a DM and you're wanting to use something like this is to immediately start to pare down all of those different ideas into some core, you know, just the best bits. You know, you start lopping off the stuff that doesn't quite fit. You're not really sure what to do with it and you pare it down. But I think, you know, to your point, Matt, there's a lot of different Opportunities and avenues, and you need those characters, which are the players at the table. And they're going to bring some different characters. And based on some of the world that you've given them, they're going to come up with their own ideas. You're going to get a bit more of a theme, and you're going to run forward with that. And that's going to vastly change the game that you end up playing.
2: Yeah. And, you know, depending upon what people are interested in, it's going to change a lot as well. So you might decide that you're going to run with the 1840s Canada idea, but halfway through the, you know, 10th session or whatever, uh, so-and-so's character is just super dead. Um, (laughs) 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 and, uh, And so, you know, they want to make a new character and you're like, well, hey, how about a character from someplace else? And they decide they're going to make some sort of crazy, ghost hunter from the weird ghost nation culture i mean that's going to put a a microscope on like what you want to create for background for that character and and then sort of how that interplays with what you have going on and that's going to start creating all kinds of new stories and potential possibilities for what stories you're telling i mean just super fascinating Uh, i mean like i i'm going to be a fly on the wall in that campaign
0: (laughs) and i i just think this is if your group is, is keen to do something like this, to do this as like a pre-session zero for your game, man, you'd have the most invested group of people ever because it was their ideas that they're, they're playing in.
2: Absolutely, yeah. If you break it down into those categories and you have a conversation like this, everybody's going to bring their ideas to the table and you're just going to have sparks like this. It's going to happen. Like, and you might, you're going to end up with an entirely different result Based upon the the people who are there and their ideas, and I bet it's going to be fantastic.
0: Again, take the creative load off of yourself because this is way easier than sitting down by yourself for you know a straight week trying to think of just the right world to put your players through.
2: Absolutely, and uh, like you said, they're going to be more invested. And then you know, as the DM, uh, if you're running the game. Even if they're they're doing some of the big mysteries of the world, you know, uh, so they, they know about the cosmology and all that kind of stuff, right? There are ways that when you're sitting down at the table that you're going to be able to surprise the players and tell that story to them in unique ways that really are things that you can then craft because you know what they know and you can rely on that. Uh, as opposed to a lot of times in a lot of games where players come to the setting and they don't really know much about it or they kind of vaguely understand it. You have to do so much work to get people to understand why something's a big deal. <laughs> you know, like you, you have that big reveal moment and players are like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And you're like, no, wait, but it was a big deal. <laughs> you know? Well, in this, they'll understand why, you know, they'll be like, oh crap, it's that guy. And they'll know, even if the characters don't know. Uh, and so that's really fun.
1: Well, I'd say that this is among probably our most valuable in the (laughs) list of episodes that we've done, you know, just in terms of how to go about crafting a story, crafting a world, building it with your players, you know, and the results that you get. It was very cool to be led uh, through this exercise by yourself. Extremely valuable. So thank you very much, Matt. It's
2: been a, a pleasure and an honor. Well, thank you to uh, you guys and all the Discord folks for all the awesome ideas. Uh, We wouldn't have gotten here without them. It was awesome. (laughs) Right. (laughs)
0: Very true. Well, it was so cool to get this opportunity with Matt Cernit. We hope that you get the chance to do something similar with this exercise with the people that you play
1: with. And we hope that you got something out of this episode. You can find Matt Cernit at Cernit on Twitter. And stay tuned, because he revealed in the first episode that he's got a personal world-building project he plans to unveil at a future mystery date.
0: Indeed. Thanks again to all of the people that pitched in and chimed in from our Discord. That was great. This wouldn't have happened if you hadn't uh, done that. And we've also got our wonderful patrons that make this show
1: possible to thank. We'd like to thank Sean J., our newest patron. Sif by 11. Lucas D. Lila G, the GM Tim, Duke B, Thomas W, Ty N, Heavy Arms, Eric R, John T, Leprechaun, <laughs> and Will HP. Thank you all. You make this show possible. You reduce the amount of gray or the rapid gray that is spreading throughout <laughs> my beard. And every time we sit down with another
0: dumb idea, we remember, oh, these people want us to do it. So we'll do it. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> Thanks to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects that you hear in this episode. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit. And join in on that awesome community on our Discord. Say hello in there. Contribute to these
0: weird episodes that we do. And you will be appreciated greatly. Thanks Thanks for listening. listening, And beware your local portal god. (laughs) Could be dangerous
1: as shit.